It's time for episode 288 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, April 3rd, 2019. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that, unlike air power, continues to achieve our high standards. Mm. I am your co-host, Micah Sargent, and I am joined across the internet by my good pal, good buddy, and good co-host, Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. <laughs> I'm all of those things, Micah. I am, I'm the good one. That's what I said. <laughs> uh, well, we have two good guests. They, they, I don't think they tend to fall into the mwahaha camp. Uh, to my left is the co-director of App Camp for Girls, the host of Originality right here on Relay, and App Launch Map Proprietess. I love that. It is Aline Sims. How you doing, Aline? I am okay. Hello, friends. And to my left, it's an analyst, a podcaster, and the host of the fabulous YouTube show, Vector. It is Renee Ritchie. Welcome back, Renee. One of them had to be, right? <laughs> odds were against us. The odds of us doing this podcast are not against us. You know how it works. We've got these guests. We've got four topics. We got 30 minutes. So I'm going to kick things off here. Walmart announced a new Google Assistant powered grocery shopping option. So essentially, you can say, hey, goo goo, uh, I would like to get some groceries from Walmart and then you are able to order those groceries and Walmart has some different options, um, including a pickup where you just go and you park and then they come out with your groceries. Uh, I'm curious, what's something mundane like grocery shopping that you think could be improved with the use of voice assistance? Aline, we'll start with you. I guess I'm unimaginative because I don't feel a lot of friction on things like, like I don't want to go to the grocery store, but I also don't want to say, Hey, device, order my groceries. I mean, I can't even get it to turn on my lights reliably. So <laughs> I really like, please, please turn on my lights reliably. Um, recognize when I say add Coke to my shopping list and don't add other things to my shopping list instead. <laughs> oh dear. And like, I don't know. I just, um, I, I just, Maybe someday there's going to be something where I'm going to be like, yes, I really need my voice assistant to do that. But I'm just, I'm not there. Uh, I would like my voice assistant, if I could just be like, hey, uh, Gugu, to go with Micah's <laughs> newly predicated thing, file my taxes. Uh, that would be great. I would Ooh. do that. That would be excellent. I'm not sure I want to give any of them my tax information, but I'm kind of weighing it there. There are a lot of things. Uh, so I noticed today, for example, that, that Google's uh, duplex feature, that like creepy robot calling thing is coming to iOS phones now-ish. Uh, and so the idea of something where like I could tell the Echo to make me a doctor's appointment or something like that, where I have to call someplace and like set up a time and appointment to do things. Like I actually do think... There's a certain amount of appeal to that. I don't love the idea of it pretending to be a person, but I feel like if there were some sort of API offered by all these offices where I need to make appointments, where I could just say, hey, make this appointment for me you know, next week, preferably, and it would just do it, that would be great because I would avoid having to call people on the phone, which is always a plus. 
Well, first, I don't really want Google in all my business. So I'm really tentative <laughs> about all of this stuff mm-hmm. to begin with. But I also think we're getting ready to make those leaps from active to proactive. So, you know, Eileen shouldn't have to say, get me Coke. They should just know that she needs Coke and just do it for you. There's all these, it's like machine learning. The thing I love about machine learning is it does a lot of heavy lifting. I don't want to sort through 500 photos. Just find me the top 10 for me to sort through. And I don't want to have to tell you to do every little thing. Just, you know, get those light bulbs when you think the other ones are going to run out. Because you know when I got the other ones. You know it's my annual physics, uh, sorry, physical time. So just make that doctor's appointment. You know Dan has just finished the third book in his installment and is ready for purchase. So just send that to my house. <laughs> and it's just all of those things should just be done without. Like, what's the point of an assistant if you still have to do all the work? So that's that's what I'm waiting for. I would love it if I could sort of like set different appointments and uh, set up different events, including the contact people part of the process and making sure that it's available. You know, a lot of um, a lot of the services that we use these days already have some sort of online process for setting up appointments, be it your doctor or your haircut place, um, <laughs> or, you know, getting your nails done or what have you. And if these services could sort of act as a go between to do that process, it'd be super cool if I could just say, Hey, Gugu, uh, when, uh, or I want to get a haircut this week. What appointments are available? And then at the same time as it's going and, and figuring out what my hairdresser has available, it's also comparing that against my calendar. So it knows to only offer me, uh, events, you know, times that work with my calendar already. Oh, that's so cool or would be if that's how it worked. But. I hope that they, you know, can can get that awesome and that those mundane things uh, become exciting enough that even Aline has a use for them. <laughs> All right. So I've done something I said I would never, ever, ever, ever do. And I bought a second iPad for day-to-day use. Uh, so I'm living the multipad lifestyle. So I was curious about y'all. I think I know Renee's answer to this, but the, everyone else too. Like, do you live or want to live the multipad lifestyle? And, um, how do you or would you use different sides, different sized screens? Um, were you to embark upon this, uh, controversial and expensive way of life? <laughs> Uh, I am not living the multi-pad lifestyle, and I have no desire to. In fact, if anything, I would like to have fewer devices than I already have, because between an iPhone, an iPad, a MacBook, and an iMac, like, it's just keeping all your data in sync. Like, you can do it, but it's like a full-time job sometimes. Uh, so I don't really feel the need to add another iPad into that mix, and I don't have a compelling enough use case, I think in, in large part because I don't use my iPad enough, probably as it is. At least with my MacBook and my iMac, I have very distinct contexts in which I'm using those two devices. Uh, so adding an iPad into that mix is fine. It does sort of fill in a few gaps where I might otherwise be using, my, say, my laptop. Um, but I don't feel the need to add another tablet on top of that. I'm not really sure what I would do with that. Um, so in terms of different screen sizes, like, I mean, I've already got an iPhone and an iPad that I use for various things. And sure, I prefer watching video on my iPad and I prefer writing on my iPad. Um, but, you know, for most of my everyday stuff, I'm using my phone because it's it's there. It's always with me. And that's that's a big argument for it. What I'd rather have is a device that somehow finds a way to scale to provide whatever screen size I need at the given moment. But, you know, as as with our voice assistants, uh, that future is probably still a little ways off. 
My family is big on iPad lifestyle. My mom has an iMac. I don't think she ever touches it anymore. We got her the iPad Air 2, and then we got her the original iPad Pro, and she didn't replace it. She started using them one after the other. When she had to plug in one, she would switch to the other, and they were pretty much the same for, for what she did with them. You know, She probably preferred using the iPad Pro to type on and to do those things, but now the iPad Air uh, is sort of chugging out, and she wants the new iPad Air 3, and she's going to maintain that dual iPad life. And my sister, uh, who works in the medical industry, is the same. She has a, a, a mini, the 9.7-inch iPad Pro and the iPad Mini 3. And the iPad Mini 3 is getting long in the tooth. And she has a MacBook Air. I don't know how much she uses it, but she loves using those iPads. The iPad Mini is what she uses on the bus when she goes to work in the day or on the train when she goes in between cities. And she just loves it. And they're entirely different things to her. One is sort of like a worky-work thing, and one is sort of a relax and listen to audiobooks or read ebooks or watch movies or TV shows on. Uh, and I can certainly feel that. I use a MacBook Pro for Final Cut, but I use an iPad Pro for most everything else, especially when I'm at coffee shops or traveling. And I have the iPad Mini 4 with me now. And I've just, I've just been using it to read like all the comic books because Marvel Unlimited and a couple ebooks because I have to. And then just watching all the stuff. And it's, it's really nice. And especially when you're traveling, it just doesn't drain your phone, which is always my nightmare because the minute I hit roaming, I just watch that battery go down. And if I can do something, anything to keep my phone up functional phone, then I preserve it. And I know like living the iPad, the multi-iPad life is an indulgence. No real human needs it, but I feel like there are places for them if you really want it bad enough. Uh, I, I'm kind of with Dan. Um, I really do like uh, my iPad that I have with, you know, it's got my keyboard and it sort of serves as my go-between between the MacBook Pro that sits at my desk. Um, that is my, you know, computer, computer and my uh, huge iPhone that I have that I carry around with me along with my Apple Watch. But if the multi-pad lifestyle came knocking at my door, because I wouldn't come knocking at its door, then <laughs> uh, the iPad mini would be the one that I'd see when I opened it up. Um, Aline, any last thoughts on that? Yeah, actually. So the reason I went for the, the multi-pad lifestyle is because of the mini five. Um, my Kindle, I have a 2014 Kindle Voyage. And so I was like, well, I'm trying to like, I don't think I'm going to, I'm not ardent about moving away from Amazon, but maybe I give Amazon less money. So do I want to buy a new Kindle and then be in the Kindle ecosystem? Do I want to start using Kobo? Like, what do I want to do? And the iPad gives me the versatility that I want. And Renee, your sister's use case is mine exactly like I have a 12.9 inch, a new 12.9 inch iPad Pro, which I use for work, but I don't feel comfortable pulling that out on the bus where anyone can see. Like, that's flashy. That seems really flashy to me. But like a little mini on the bus where I can read a book, just that versatility. And I'm not setting up mail on it. I'm trying not to set up messages on it. And I'm really trying to make it something that I'm using for like that cliche where iPads are only for consumption that I think we're kind of moving away from that trope now. But like, that's what I want this iPad mini to be. I didn't even get cellular on it. I was like, I can tether to my phone if I need to. It's just going to be something that I can take with me and then immerse myself in whatever it is I want to immerse myself and, you know, not think about Twitter or whatever, which is what happens when I'm reading on my phone. So that's kind of, I never thought it would happen. But when I got into that e-reader debate with myself, I was like, why lock myself in? Just, just be able to do all the things. 
Well, excellent, folks. We have made it to halftime. But before we continue on, I want to tell you about our good pals over at Linode, who are bringing you this episode. With Linode, you can instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the Linode cloud, and you can get a server running in just seconds with your choice of Linux distro, resources, and node location. It doesn't matter if you're working on your first server or deploying a complex system because Linode is the company to go to. They've got the fastest hardware and network with outstanding customer support if you ever need help. Super easy to launch a Linode cloud server. And their block storage is available in Newark, Fremont, Dallas, Atlanta, Frankfurt, London, and Singapore. And by the way, it's coming to Tokyo soon. Version 4 of Linode's RESTful API is out of beta and includes an officially supported Python CLI. And right now, Linode is hiring. If you want to learn more and check out what they're looking for, you can go to linode.com slash careers. Linode has pricing options to suit everyone. Plans started a gig of RAM for just five bucks a month, and they've got a high memory plan that's starts with 16 gigs of RAM. Linode has a special offer just for you. As a listener of this show, you can go to linode.com slash clockwise and use the promo code clockwise 2019 to get 20 bucks towards any Linode plan. Think about that. On the gig of RAM plan, that's four free months. With a seven-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose. Give Linode a try today. That's linode.com slash clockwise with the promo code clockwise2019 to learn more, sign up, and make the most of that $20 credit. Thanks so much to Linode for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, Dan, what have you got for us? So I was watching a spy show from Australia, actually, the other night. And uh, as often happens when I'm watching TV or movies, you start seeing something happening with the technology and you, us being technology people, kind of roll our eyes and think, oh, God, that is not how that works. That's not remotely possible. So my question for you, just for fun, is what, what is the trope used in movies, the tech trope that drives you crazy? Renee? Uh, it's got to be just how easy it is to hack absolutely everything on the internet. <laughs> I'm not even talking about Tony Stark sitting in the Nexus, whatever that is, and just hacking everything. But it just seems like anybody uh, who puts on a pair of glasses can flip around a laptop, type in a few symbols, all of a sudden have access to everything from your personal computer to NASA's deepest, darkest alien uh, you know, vault. And that I just wanted to put in a little bit of work once in a while. Uh, shows are getting better about this, I've noticed. But the thing that always used to bug me so much and continues to when I see it is that no phones that people answer in shows have a proximity sensor in in the uh, <laughs> speaker because every time they put it up to their head, the, the screen is still on. I'm watching this and I see that happen and I just get completely pulled out because I'm like... What was the director thinking there? Were they thinking that people would think that the phone was off? You know what I mean? Like, I just start spinning down this thing. Like, why not just do it how it actually works? The problem with that, too, is that when I do see it and it does it correctly, I get distracted, too, because I take a moment to, like, celebrate the fact. People should not talk on the phone on shows. Yeah, just don't talk on the shows. That's the trope. Nobody these days talks on the phone. Let's be real. They say, hey, Gugu, and have Gugu do it for them. (laughs) Um, Aline, what are your thoughts? I have two. And I notice them less and less now, but one is enhance. And you can infinitely (laughs) enhance a photo if it was taken 17 miles away, was taken from the stratosphere 
it can it can see a pinpoint on the sidewalk and that drives me bananas and the other is uh when people are typing especially on Macs and they're doing stuff and it's making like all these beeps and boops and it's like <laughs> that's not actually those beeps and boops don't exist people know they don't exist and still for some reason those beeps and boops are in there why <laughs> the sound of technology that's what my computer does it's how you know it's working yeah uh, those are all excellent, uh, especially, thank you for mentioning, zoom in, enhance, my enhance. favorites. Uh, not nearly as good as the, uh, the movie Enemy of the State, where they have a computer that figures out what's in a bag on the other side yeah. of the person, even though they don't have a, never mind. Anyways, my personal pet peeve, and I still see it a lot, is hacking any sort of password where it's resolved one character at a time, <laughs> which is <laughs> not even remotely how encryption works. Like, that's, that's just not a thing. Um, and I understand why it's there. It's there to build suspense and whatever, but it's just, it is patently ridiculous when you have any understanding of how encryption works. Um, but none of these things are likely to change, sadly. Uh, so we'll have to continue living with them. Thank you, though, for sharing with me. And let's go to our last topic, which comes from Renee. So I read with trepidation and interest Mark Zuckerberg's op-ed over the weekend because Facebook has been, for me at least, such a train wreck, like the fugitive-style train wreck where the train crashes and you're running ahead of it and it just keeps coming and you're trying to run off and then it starts crashing off, still following you, and you just you never think you're going to get away until you leap over the cliff and finally get to safety. Uh, and he's, for years he's been doing this deflect, deny, dissemble sort of thing. Uh, and, you know, the Cambridge Analytica was the developer's fault. We're going to cut off the developer access, but we're going to make a new dating service for you. It's always been this really weird thing. So I, I couldn't help but think as I started reading it, what is he going to, how is he going to turn this to his advantage? How is he going to play that 3D chess? Uh, and it was by sort of calling on regulation, but regulation that would sub, like absolve him of having to make any hard platform decisions. So I was left at the end not really thinking like, oh, we should give, you know, he's had some sort of big revelation. Should we give him a 19th, 20th? I've lost count of how many chances it is at this point. Or is it really just so toxic that there's really nothing he can say at this point that will affect, I think, how we view Facebook in general? And I was left on that sort of teetering on that edge. And I was just curious what you fine folks thought about it. So, so he talks about it's harmful content, it's election integrity, privacy, and uh, data portability. Um, one of the most troubling parts for me was his talk about uh, data portability. Because so right now he's kind of talking about how you go online and you download your stuff from Instagram and you can then you know upload those photos wherever you want. He says that he wants something that's more like Facebook login. Which immediately I'm like, nope. So that's one, <laughs> that, yeah, that's a big no from me. You, you have one account and it's Facebook and that's how you log into apps and services across the web. How about no, never, ever, no. Um, election integrity. The thing that he talked about there was kind of, yeah, so with election ads, you know, we, Facebook doesn't really want to decide what an, what an ad looks like and what an ad doesn't look like in terms of, uh, political ads. And so let's just have an independent body or maybe the government decide that. So that's him saying Facebook doesn't want to commit the resources to deciding what is and isn't a political ad, especially as political ads change. And we've got these, you know, non campaign cycle ads that are out there. So let's take our legal responsibility out of the the pot and let's also take our sort of ethical responsibility out of the pot and then be able to blame the government or the independent <laughs> body if 
they can't choose what if they can't decide like what a political ad is. And then on privacy, um, plenty of good stuff there in terms of, hey, you know, we need to be better about when someone is using Facebook or someone is using another service uh, that their data there is protected and that it's secure and that they can have access to it. The real problem, which is something that actually Tim Cook talked about in his uh, little essay about the same kind of thing, is the data that companies are collecting and sort of creating about us. It's how we access the web across the web. And that's the big problem. It's those data brokers that have built sort of um, online versions of us where they know so much about us based on our behaviors. And Zuck kind of conveniently doesn't touch on that. And instead, sort of, it's it's like a magician where you've got one hand and it's like, look over here, look over here. Meanwhile, the real problem are those data brokers. So at the end of the day, I think this whole essay is just kind of like, we don't want to be responsible. Let's have another body do this. And uh, also, we're going to continue to do the worst of what we do. And we really don't want you to focus on that. So I'm kind of two thumbs down. And if I had extra arms, I would throw those thumbs down too <laughs> about this. Aline, what are your thoughts? Let's see if I can talk about Facebook without cursing. That's my <laughs> challenge for today. Um, I one, I don't pay a lot of attention to what Zuckerberg does anymore because it's just meaningless. What he does, what he says, it doesn't mean anything. Facebook is gonna Facebook. And when I hear him talk about, or I see, I read him writing about, um, government stepping in, putting in regulations, who's going to be lobbying? Who's going to be working with um, Congress or, you know, whoever is doing the first and second and third drafts of these bills? It's going to be Facebook. And I just, it just, it just doesn't mean anything at all. And it's, this company is so destructive and, I don't think that, that Zuckerberg knew what it would turn into and the responsibility that he would have and what a dumpster fire he was creating for the whole entire world. But the fact of the matter is he has done that. I'm mad. I can hear it in my voice. Like <laughs> he's done this. This is his fault because, because he has just watched the world burn and enabled the rise of the alt-right. Like, he has done this. Ultimately, it's his responsibility. Board of directors, whatever, I don't care. He is still in charge of this company. And so when he says anything, I automatically disbelieve it and don't pay attention to it because I know that Facebook's just going to keep doing what it's been doing, and that is collect data on me, my family members, sell it, commoditize us, and also enable the people who are willing to spend time there and to create views and content and whatever that radicalizes other people, they're going to keep doing that no matter what they say. So I just don't, you know, whatever, dude, like whatever. <laughs> your, com <laughs> your company is trash and this is bad. <laughs> Sorry. I'm actually going to take the rare contrarian viewpoint here. Um, I want to set aside for a second his motivations because I agree with most of you that I think there's a large heaping helping of self-servingness in here. That said, 
we need government regulation of this. We absolutely Oh, I do. agree. Well, that's agree. the thing. Is that, so take it at face value, and I, I understand all the caveats that come with that. But the alternative is letting things continue to run unchecked as they already are. And so whether Facebook finds a way to abuse the regulations that get set up, sure, that seems pretty likely. Your concerns about lobbying, all of that, you know, that seems pretty plausible. But none of that obviates the point that we do need oversight and regulation from bodies that are have the ability to actually levy punishments and things that companies have to adhere to has to be tried because otherwise we are just going to keep falling deeper into that well and so whether it be privacy regulations like the gdpr stuff that the u.s put into place um on a more global scale um in terms of privacy stuff for election monitoring i i think that facebook there's a struggle here, right? Because I don't, I don't agree. You know, I, I don't think that Facebook should be obviating their responsibility here. But at a certain point, their rules are the ones they're they're adhering to rules that they've made up at this point, and that is a losing proposition for literally everybody, <laughs> including Facebook, including us. Uh, and so, having some other body set regulations and figure out, like, what are the things these online services should be allowed to do? What are the punishments if they do not correctly handle this kind of situation? I I think Facebook's never going to solve this problem, as Zuckerberg says. He's right about that. Facebook is limited in terms of, you know, technology and people only get so good. Nothing's perfect. You're going to miss stuff. So uh, I understand they want to pass the buck to a uh, different body and and not have the ultimate responsibility for some of these things. Uh, That's obviously good for them but i think at the same time it does speak to the point that we do need a bigger more comprehensive uh you know uh, look at these types of services in the same way that we deal with any other type of service or company that could be harmful i mean we regulate tobacco we regulate alcohol uh you know we regulate drugs all of these things, you know, are potentially harmful and yet still have benefits if used in the right way. So why not treat online services and uh, all your information and data? Why not treat it in the same way or at least give it the same respect that we give to those other things that are potentially harmful, but are still things that people use? As we record this, Gruber just linked to Facebook demanding some new users email passwords to verify their accounts. Mm-hmm. So I just I want to just add in that I think that on top of regulation, there should be criminal prosecution. So if you steal someone's data, you should face the same penalties as if you steal their car. And I think when, when a couple of these executives get thrown in even white collar prison for a year or two, it'll drastically change the social landscape. <sighs> All right, folks. Well, uh, we have reached the end of another episode. But before we get there, uh, we've got just enough time for a bonus topic. And our bonus topic is brought to you by Backblaze, the unlimited cloud backup for Macs and PCs that starts at just six bucks a month. Folks, I have used Backblaze for ages now, and Backblaze has saved my skin a number of times uh, because I tend to be a, a, a Tom fool. Uh, I will often go in and, you know, start a new beta uh, or, or, find something that I think I should install and then realize that I don't really want it. And then I will go back and just kind of refresh my system all over again. And the best way for me to kind of recollect the data that I may have lost in deciding to do those foolish things uh, is to 
use Backblaze. Backblaze makes it super simple to sort of, you know, you can piecemeal collect the data or you can get back everything that it has updated. Uh, you can sign up for a 15-day free trial with no credit card required at backblaze.com slash clockwise. Backblaze is going to help you because it has helped so many people. There are 750 petabytes of data and counting. That's the equivalent of 750 million gigabytes. So they really know their stuff. Backblaze has restored over 35 billion files, and probably most of those are mine. That's a lot of saved projects, assignments, (laughs) and family photo albums. And you know you're in good hands because Backblaze is loved and recommended by The Verge, Macworld, The Next Web, Lifehacker, Lifewire, 9to5Mac. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. Avoid that looming data disaster. Go to backblaze.com slash clockwise for your unrestricted free trial. And please be sure to let them know you heard about them on Clockwise. That's backblaze.com slash clockwise. Head there now. Thanks so much to Backblaze for saving us from countless data disasters and for their support of this show and Relay FM. Bonus topic for you folks. If virtual reality was holodeck level awesome, where's the first place you'd go in VR? Aline, we'll start with you. Mars. Uh, probably the Moss Eisley Cantina. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say I'm going to go train on Dagobah. Be right back. <laughs> Uh, for me, I would wake up in the morning and I would take my dogs for a walk on the planet Pluto. Uh, thank you all for your answers on that. Pluto is a planet. <laughs> all that's left is to thank our awesome guests. Aline Sims, thank you so much for being here with us this week. I'm sorry for the things I said when I was angry. <laughs> <laughs> and Renee Ritchie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And I love that Micah doesn't cotton to any celestial revisionism. <laughs> <laughs> I sure don't, doggone it. And that is the end of another episode. So all that we have to do is remind all of you out there, until next time, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, buddy. <laughs>